listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Butch Zimar. We're going to go through a number of things. There's current events. People are getting rebate checks, as well as businesses skipping the biggest line item and expense in, in their PL statement. So, we're going to go through a number of things. So, we're going to get right to it. Currently, there's a lot of checks going back out to policyholders, or they've seen a reduction in premium on the individual market, depending on what carrier insurance company they're with or how the insurance company is going to be handling it. This was part a, of the Affordable Care Act called the medical loss ratio. Medical loss ratio basically dictated the insurance company how to manage their funds. And in a nutshell, 80% of their revenue had to be escrowed or allotted for claims. If they exceeded that, meaning that they saved more than uh, 80%, then they had to give a rebate back to the policyholders. In years past, these checks have been actually very small. But uh, the insurance companies caught up and figured out a way to adjust the model, the premium model, um, and how the claims are being paid out. So this is payouts from a couple years ago and premiums that you paid. And so if there are some uh, nerves that come up about a check showing up in the mail saying, here's your money back, don't be too alarmed, but check with your insurance agent or call the insurance company just to be sure. But it is a real check. And then with the biggest insurance company in the state of Illinois, they decided that instead of issuing checks out, they decided to reduce premiums. So if you see an adjustment in a pay and a deduction on the individual market, and then of course, the loss ratio with small groups or even mid-sized groups, those checks are going back to the employer and the responsibility of the employer is to roll it back into a benefit. You could issue a refund based on a percentage split if you were sharing the cost with the employees, but most employers just roll it back into covering more benefits such as more premium being paid by the employer or they add a dental program or pay for a group life insurance or reduce premiums in some fashion. And that's the requirement of the law. It's not money to pocket by the employer. That's what the check is for. There's this previous belief that insurance companies were overcharging on their premiums. And in some ways that's true, but they were expecting a lot bigger checks. Back when the Affordable Care Act was passed and these checks started going out, the average family in America received less than 150 bucks a year in rebates. So that means they charged, overcharged you by 12 bucks a month. It's not a big deal, wasn't a whole lot. I'm not sure what made that difference of 12 bucks. Today we're seeing families getting rebates of about $1,000 a year. So it's a little bit more substantial, but I think uh, they caught up and understood the model a little bit uh, different with Affordable Care Act, claim experience and whatnot. With other current events that are going on, the Supreme Court was getting ready to rule on the individual mandate. I'm not going to get into technicalities of why one versus another, but back in 2012, I believe it was, the Supreme Court made a ruling that because they were saying that you can't force an individual to purchase a health insurance and then put on a tax return to validate. So the way they did it is saying that instead of being a penalty, it's actually a tax, and that's what uphold the entire law. And today they're, they're saying that 
since the Trump administration lowered the tax uh, for individual mandate down to zero dollars or zero percent, however you want to word it, that it is no longer constitutional. And so with the, the hearings going on for the nominee for the Supreme Court justice, there's a lot of debate going around the Supreme Court ruling. I'm not going into politics, but there's more to it than just the hearing. And if, uh, if she does get appointed, it's going to be more on technicalities of the law and the wording. And then whether or not the votes go through, uh, they're anticipating it could be a tie, which means it goes back to the lower courts. But there's a lot more that's involved and it's above our pay grade. And we're not going to be able to see exactly what rolls out on that probably for another 12 months, maybe even longer. So depending on what the Supreme Court ruling is, some people are, are afraid they're going to lose their health insurance. And uh, there's a lot of publications that are trying to use justification of why this would occur and how many millions of people are going to lose coverage. But let's remind everybody how many millions of people that actually lost coverage going on Obamacare. There was a smooth transition for most of those. And so even the, the numbers that they were posting every year about how many more people were insured, but they don't ever use the number of what the net gain was. And so, yes, there probably was more people under the Affordable Care Act that became insured, but majority of those went to Medicaid and not the health insurance system. And so there's a big difference. And then today they're talking about 20 million would lose insurance. I'm here to tell you that all those people that got cancellation notices back in between 2010 and 2013 going into the 2014 and even beyond that everybody had an option everybody had a transition everybody had an option so the issue is going to come in is of course how are they going to do that going forward there is a phase in no matter what we do if there's any law that's passed you're going to have plenty of time if not a couple years or more to see the impact and how things develop there's definitely some concern about pre-existing conditions but i'm here to tell you that there's a lot of truth about pre-existing conditions that is not being pushed out there that people need to understand. What I mean by that is that we never really had a pre-existing problem in America, even prior to the Affordable Care Act. There were isolated cases that made it big, and probably there's justification to some of those. But the reality is, uh, is that I believe it's 48 states prior to the Affordable Care Act had a high-risk pool that everybody was able to get insurance in some degree. And plus we had a lot of competition and there was a lot of underwriting. So there was a personality matchmaking that occurred with pre-existing conditions because some carriers didn't take certain risks, but other ones did. And so you needed to find somebody that understood those markets. But even if you were a high risk, for example, in the state of Illinois, we had the Illinois Comprehensive Health Insurance Program, which is administered, was administered by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois with a nationwide PPO network. And the premiums were probably half of what Obamacare is today. And so there's a huge difference on, on how to manage of the product. But just a little background on high risk. Health insurance is the only one that we're actually having problems with because we keep demanding more coverage and more opportunities to have things covered and paid for by somebody else. You're, people are asking for somebody else with a bigger purse to pay for it. But if we look at any other insurance program in the marketplace, let's say your auto insurance, if somebody gets a bunch of car accidents and they're in your geographic area, should you share that cost even though they're the high risk? Or should you, um, the current law allows them to go to a high-risk pool for a little while until they get back on track, and then they could go back in the open market. Same goes with homeowner's insurance. Same goes with commercial insurance through a business. All the other insurance programs, and we're not having the same issue we're having with health insurance. So there are ways to do it and ease some of the concerns, even the 
not to get political, but uh, even the Republican Party has plans for the pre-existing, even though people are arguing against it. There are ways to make this smooth. They have the plan. It's it's there. there. There's just a lot more behind the writing, and I don't think they're doing a good job promoting it, so there's a lot of backlash for them, and rightly so, because they're not doing a good job promoting it. But I'm here to, to say that the pre-existing issue won't be an issue going forward, but of course, that's way the way I read it right now. Things could change between now and then based on new ruling, new people in office, everything's subject to change at that moment in time. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. So let's talk about some, controlling some of the costs. The first thing uh, that any employer can do is start educating their employee base. And the reason for this is most employees don't understand how health insurance, let alone the executives of the company that are actually managing this healthcare um, bill and negotiating with the carrier or the broker to get things in, under control. But the biggest thing is definitely the employee base because they always run to the emergency room. They always try to do certain things because it's the way health insurance used to work or the way their parents thought health insurance should work or they heard about it or they read about it in the news. So there's a lot of things you can go through with your employees, such as even stay away from the ER, use an urgent care, because typically there's a copay if you have a copay option. Emergency rooms will cost you tons more money. And just to give you a quick story, years ago, there was a gentleman I knew that he ended up having some chest pains and he wasn't sure where to go. They weren't that drastic, but they were consistent all day long. And so I recommended when he placed the call to me to figure out what, what to do next. Not that I'm claims, but they had access to me. And I mentioned, just go to the urgent care because if there's a problem, they will transport you anyways. He went over to urgent care. They put an EKG or some test on them. And he ended up having nothing. It was all stress-related. They went home well, within a couple hours after that. His total bill was around 600 bucks. If he went to the ER, they would have said, oh, you're talking about chest pain? You're admitted. So you're probably going to spend anywhere from 3000 to $6,000, depending on what your out-of-pocket maximums were and what tests they have done versus a $600 bill. And so this is important because if you don't figure out a way to control some of the costs, you're going to do some old school methods such as go to the emergency room because years ago you used to have a copay and everything would be fine. But today that's completely different. A lot of the cost is being passed on to the employee in this case because deductibles are higher and out-of-pockets are higher these days. Another example is instead of going to big chain pharmacies, figure out a way to pay cash. A lot of times it's a lot cheaper than even the copay find other pharmacies that are still national chains, but maybe not as big as others. And so that you could save a ton of money. And speaking of prescription drugs, um, another tip that I usually give out is, and I, they're not a sponsor or uh, endorsement, but goodrx.com 
is a great source to shop prescription drugs. You could at least compare it to your existing cost with health insurance to see if there is a way to get it cheaper. There's times if you use your health insurance, you might have to pay $10, but if you use GoodRx and see what cash prices are in the area, you might pay three bucks. And so maybe it's not worth $7, but to some people it is. In other cases, it could be a lot more dramatic. Let's say you have a higher copay because it's a more expensive drug, and let's say it's $100 a month that you're spending. You use GoodRx. They may have a manufacturer coupon that's available through them, and then you might save 50% of that without even using insurance. So yes, you might have to move away from using insurance, but it's your money at the end of the day. So it's the best way to all right, reduce your expenses. Another way is mail order, but mail order through an insurance company is one way. A lot of times they charge a copay of two and a half times. So in other words, they pay you, uh, they charge you two, two and a half months of copays, and that reduces your cost versus going to the pharmacy every 30 days. And then it all, also it's shipped to your door, saving you time at the pharmacy. But there are third-party mail orders, and these are worldwide mail order programs. And we do have a program that we do work with. So if you need assistance with that, go ahead and contact our office. But third-party mail order, it could be all over the world, New Zealand, India, uh, Europe, all kinds of places. And if you order a specific name drug, that's the drug that shows up. You're not getting a substitute. You're not getting some other weird generic from overseas. You're actually getting that medication. It's just that it saves the pharmaceutical manufacturer's money or the company's money if they store them at different parts all over the world. Um, but they can be shipped to your door for private use. You cannot obviously use it as a pharmacy. Then there's different regulations, but you could ship it to your door for private use. You do have to have a prescription. Everything's vetted, and then you just pay cash. If you want to submit it to your insurance company for reimbursement, you could try to do that. In some cases, that works. But a lot of times, you could actually get prescription drug costs for much cheaper, but not all medications will save you money through third-party mail order. But it is a program, and it could save you 30 to 50% off of what you're currently paying, and it's shipped right to your door. The other thing is definitely plan designs. We've talked about this before, but plan designs is a crucial with a lot of things going on, and the old school method of fully insured groups through big companies may not be the answer to control cost. You might be able to still use the big companies. We just have to change the plan design to control some of the cost, as well as educating the employees on what to do. The other thing you could do is engage your employees in different wellness programs. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the wellness program. It doesn't draw bigger uh, that big of an impact on premium. However, what it does is uh, get employees to engage in a better healthy lifestyle, which means more productivity inside the workplace. So if your employees are healthier and they're more positive, uh, that you're going to get better outcomes productively in the workplace, and that's going to be positive uh, impact over the bottom line in general. And that'll wrap up today's podcast. I'll look forward to talking to you guys next week about more upcoming things with open enrollment and current events, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time.